Hey guys, it is Ryan. I'm not sure if you know this about me, but I'm a bit of a fun fanatic when I can. I like to work, but I like fun too. It's a thing. And now the truth is out there. I can tell you about my favorite place to have fun. Chumba Casino. They have hundreds of social casino style games to choose from with new games released each week. You can play for free anytime, anywhere And each day brings a new chance to collect daily bonuses. So join me in the fun. Sign up now at ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. VTW. Void or prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus. With lucky landslots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. Dearly beloved, we are gathered here today to... Has anyone seen the bride and groom? Sorry. Sorry. We're here. We were getting lucky in the limo and we lost track of time. No. Lucky Land Casino. With cash prizes that add up quicker than a guest registry. In that case, I pronounce you lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Daily bonuses are waiting. No purchase necessary. Void were prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Step into the world of power, loyalty, and luck. I'm going to make him an offer he can't refuse. With family, cannolis, and spins mean everything. Now, you want to get mixed up in the family business. Introducing... The Godfather at ChompaCasino.com. Test your luck in the shadowy world of the Godfather slot. Someday, I will call upon you to do a service for me. Play the Godfather now at ChompaCasino.com. Welcome to the family. No purchase necessary. VGW Group. Voidware prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. Welcome back to the Rock Chalk Talk podcast. My name is Andy Mitz. I am joined today by Mike Plank. How are you doing tonight, Mike? Well, you know, Andy, uh, I'm hanging in there. It's been a busy <laughs> weekend. I was going to say, it's been a long weekend. Uh, Labor Day weekend here, obviously, is kind of throwing off our, our recording schedule as well. But uh, there's been a lot of action this weekend for the Jayhawks. We had um, multiple matches for volleyball. Um, not only did they have a tournament, you know, Thursday, Friday, and Saturday, but then they came back home today um, and, and had a match against a, another ranked team in Kentucky. Um, Mike, you were actually there. Uh, we're we're going to talk about that in just a little bit, but uh, overall, how, how was the atmosphere there real quick? Uh, it was, uh, I mean, it was uh, very intense, actually. We got there just, I mean, just seconds before first serve. Uh, it was really a little tardy. But, uh, you know, we got in there and, you know, they had the pet band going and the place was rocking and the, the line for the students was probably 50 or so deep. And I'm not sure that they even all got in. Uh, I mean, it was just jam packed and, and it was loud and it was crazy and it was, <laughs> it was a lot of fun. Uh, and of course the, the match turned out very well. Kansas played exceptionally well, probably the best we've seen them play all year long. Uh, and, and some of the comments that I sent you, because I knew you were going to do the recap there on the site, some of the comments that I sent you during the match and right after the match, um, I mean, they, they they were impressive. They haven't been impressive all year, and they were very impressive against Kentucky. And uh, Kentucky's a legit top 15 team, and for large portions of the match, they didn't look like they belonged on the same court as Kansas, I thought. Yeah, I, I kind of caught just a little bit here and there, and uh... – but we'll actually come come back to that when we talk about the volleyball team as a whole. But uh, let's let's actually jump to like what I think most people probably want to hear us talk about, which is the KU football game over the weekend. 
Um, Kansas obviously welcomed Southeast Missouri State in for the season opener. Um, it, I, I would have to say that the game was kind of a mixed bag. Uh, obviously, I put my takeaways out, up on the site. Um, but I did want to ask, what, what kind of things did you take away from that game? Was there, was there anything that really stood out to you one way or another, either really good, um, a, a good indication of, of, of things to come or, you know, things that you're now concerned about that maybe you weren't before? Uh, well, go ahead. Yeah, no, I'm, I'm sure that uh, I'll touch on this a little bit more throughout the week and, you know, as I get stuff put up on the website, you know, the view from the stadium and all that stuff. Uh, but uh, it started off, you know, first of all, it's a beautiful day. Beautiful day. It's, you know, 85 degrees. You know, the sun got behind the stadium. It cooled down. It was just a beautiful evening. Uh, the, I don't know how it looked on TV, but uh, the stands were pretty full, I thought. The the visiting section, you know, over there on the east side was pretty empty. Uh, but, you know, that's you know, it's to be expected, I suppose. Uh, I would assume that the alumni side where we sit was pretty full, but it's kind of hard to tell when you're in the middle of it. Uh, and then the students had a decent turnout too. Uh, so I, I feel like the crowd was pretty good. Um, the atmosphere was pretty good early on, especially the way Kansas started with the two quick touchdowns, uh, you know, the Steven Sims pass. Uh, and then that Chase Harrell reception, it probably wasn't a catch. You know, when, when you look at the video, it, he kind of has a little bobble there at the end, and then he doesn't secure it until he's out of bounds. But it probably wasn't a catch, but it's still a great play. They didn't review it. They gave Kansas the touchdown. And the crowd was rocking and rolling at that point. But then KU goes five drives without scoring a point. Yeah. And, and he scores a quick. touchdown, and, yeah, it makes it close. And, and I, I got to tell you, Ray, the, the – the crowd just kind of was out of it the rest of the night. I mean, uh, even when we got up, you know, 35 to 10, 38 to 10, whatever that was, like the, the stadium was just dead. I mean, we were, I don't know, 40 or 50 rows up, and you could hear the quarterback calling out the signals, and you could hear the coaches yelling at the players. Like, it was, it was quiet. It was, you know, all the noise was manufactured. Like, it felt like you were in an NFL game with just, you know, music coming out of the speakers and out of the scoreboard and uh it, it was just it was just dull and dead after the first half of the first quarter and which is kind of disappointing but also kind of understandable based on how they played well and i think also kind of given who the opponent was i mean it's kind of hard for even though it is the opener of the season it's kind of hard to get up for a you know a fcs directional school for the entire game, you know, we, we, we got the good fireworks out of the way and the first few drives and then everything kind of calmed down. And then at that point it's like, okay, well, you know, sure. If, if, they start, yeah. <laughs> I mean, if, they start, if they start driving again and start putting up points, okay, well, you know, we haven't kept the energy going the entire game to this point, you know, we're beating down an opponent that, you know, we should be beating down. I mean, what, what is there left to get really excited about if they had kept scoring you know, like throughout the entire first half and got into the second half, you could say, well, you know, we had that good momentum. We had a lot of excitement that just kind of kept rolling the entire time. And I could see people staying up for it. But once right. you get the lull at that point, it's like, well, the initial excitement wore off. What is there now to really get excited about? So I, I don't know. I'm yeah. necessarily too concerned about the, the fan atmosphere at that point. Um, obviously that big stretch in the second quarter where they just couldn't do anything was, really, really concerning against a, a team like Southeast Missouri State. Um, exactly. I, I will say that that Harold catch, it looks kind of like in the video, like he bobbled it, but I think there was enough time where he had control of it. Um, 
before that kind of happens that I think I'm okay with them not even looking at it at that point. If you really want to get technical, I think maybe you could look at it. But, you know, we've seen a lot of other plays already in the first week that were either similar to that or even worse. Um, you know, we have that, that UCLA touchdown that everybody's talking about, about how you know he, yeah. he caught that and he bobbled it before he actually got control of it. His foot was then out of bounds. So I think we've seen more egregious, you know, plays where maybe someone should have looked at it and they didn't. Um, I'm not really concerned about that either way. It's still a spectacular one hand and grab that we can get really excited about as, as the potential. I think the main, yeah, I think the main thing that I didn't actually put in my takeaways article that I was really happy about was just the fact that we have a passing game again. (laughs) I mean, yeah, I was a little, a little concerned that the running game didn't get going, but as, as we've talked about uh, a, a few of us there in the comments, it definitely looked like that was a conscious decision to really lean on that passing game and not really worry about running right now. Yeah, there were a lot of no back sets, and uh, and even then, I think uh, I think Simo kind of had a tendency to to pack it in, you know, the box a little bit. And I think I, you know, I just kind of wonder if their game plan was we don't care who the quarterback is, we don't want them to beat us on the ground. But you know, I'm not smart enough to know that, I guess. Yeah, well, and and also kind of seems a little strange given that you know our leading rusher from last year wasn't back. You know, the guy that we thought was going to be the leading rusher going into camp is now no longer playing football. Um, and, and Octavius Matthews, the, uh, the the running back transfer. And so, I mean, I'm a little surprised that the goal was, you know, take away the running game. The, the coaches talked about how they were stacking seven, eight in the box all night long. So they really didn't see a need to go heavy on the running game since that's what Simo was trying to take away. I'm just a little surprised with all of the hype that we've had at receiver. You know, with how deep that core is, and you know, we have a good quarterback who now is a good arm, potentially could throw. I'm a little surprised that that's what they decided to take away. So either it was really poor coaching on Simo's part, and we just you still couldn't really take advantage of it and keep it everything going, <laughs> or there's something else going on there that they saw that caused them to shift that way, which allowed us to, you know, to move towards the passing game heavily. I'm just a little surprised it turned out that way. But again, we don't know enough about what happened down on the sidelines to really talk too definitively about that without some more information from the coaching staff. Um, But, but again, I mean, I saw enough on offense there that I've, you know, I know we've got potential. Um, So, I mean, you know, me being the eternal optimist that I usually am with our teams until we get beat down a few times. um, I'm, I'm definitely, you know, glass half full at this point, looking forward to what we could potentially do. The other, the other development that kind of helped out with that, I think, is the fact that Baylor and Texas looked absolutely horrible in their first weekend. I know Texas came back and actually made it a game with Maryland, but they were getting destroyed by Maryland at home. And Maryland had a few bad breaks that allowed Texas to get back in the game. Um, but there was just, I mean, it looked like incompetent coaching. There was some really bad decisions made going for it when they really shouldn't have, punting it when at that point, it, you know, it, it kind of reminded me of Kansas last year where they couldn't make the right decisions of when to punt and when to go for it. Um, so even though Texas scored a decent number of points and made a game against Maryland, there was definitely a lot of issues there that give you kind of hope as, you know, maybe they're not as solidly built for this year as they, as everybody seems to think they are. And then Baylor getting embarrassed at home by a, a, an SCS Liberty school coached by Turner Gill, you know, right. name, name that everyone recognizes losing at home in a, in an absolute atrocious game. The defense could not stop Liberty all game long. 
Um, you know, everyone was talking about how, well, Baylor may be able to survive and, and be decent for the next couple of years before the, you know, the problem with recruiting and all of that may hit them. But, you know, after that first game, I, I don't know that Baylor is going to be any good at all this year. Yeah, and uh, I mean, I didn't, I wasn't able to sit down and watch either of those games. Obviously, the Baylor game, I was at, you know, in uh, in Lawrence at the stadium for right. the KU game. But uh, but uh, I definitely can tell you that uh, there were several of us in the stands tracking that score of the Baylor game, <laughs> and uh, I will also tell you that. Um, I was the only one who knew who Liberty's head coach was. So if that tells you anything about Kansas football, general Kansas football fan. <laughs> that's but, not uh, a reassuring thought, but they didn't realize yeah. it. <laughs> yeah. Um, and uh, I didn't even mention the fact that Liberty's AD is Baylor's old AD right. from, from the Bryles regime. So, <laughs> uh, but yeah, but we, we were definitely tracking that and, uh, and, and uh, you know, everybody was uh, loving them some, uh, you know, Baylor losing, for one. Uh, and, and I did not watch the Texas game earlier in the night, so I, I can't attest as to how well or not well they, they played. All I know is the final score. Um, but, uh, I mean, if it's not, and maybe Liberty's better than we think, I don't know. But they've gone six and five each of their last two seasons. So I, it's not like it's a – I mean, it's not like it's North Dakota State or somebody like that, right? Uh, you know, so right. Uh, it was a. I don't know what that tells us about Baylor or Texas, for that <laughs> right, right. I mean, Liberty is the definition of a mediocre FCS team, which you definitely should not have anybody. Even a mediocre FBS team should not be letting it be close in in that kind of case. I mean, you know, obviously, like when Kansas lost to North Dakota State, that was a championship or, you know, late in the playoffs, FCS team playing a bottom-of-the-barrel, you know, bowl subdivision team. So that one I can understand, you know, when we weren't able to pull out that win, we got beat. Um, but something like this where Liberty is, you know, a mediocre team, Baylor was expected to be a, at least a mediocre to, you know, maybe top third team in the, in the you know, they, they were expected to make a bowl game this year. So this definitely is not a good look for them, and hopefully we can kind of, take advantage of that. And when Baylor comes to town, maybe we can beat them as well to get another big 12 win. Um, so there, there was enough to kind of go around there in the, in the opening week, I think to give us at least a little bit of hope. Um, kind of the other thing that I, I, I guess I got called out in my article about um, being well, a little but, too rosy. But before we move on, I, I, I would like to mention that in case folks don't know, I don't know that a lot of folks know, but uh Liberty uh, is transitioning to FBS, uh, so they are they are ineligible for the for the conference championship and for the FCS playoffs. They're actually in their final season of Big South football, um, so ne- next year they're going to be a you know FBS Division One A team, high major, however you want to say it for foot, probably not high major, but um, they're going to be a they're, they're going to be a. a, a you know, legit D1 football team. So with all the scholarships and everything, so they are, they are transitioning that way. So, I mean, still, they shouldn't, you wouldn't think they would have enough to beat Baylor, but. Yeah, right, right. I think that tells us more about Baylor's level of play than it does about Liberty's level of play. Yeah. Let's, let's, well, let's hope. Yeah, exactly. All right. So yeah, to to kind of jump back on uh, what I was talking about, the, I made a few comments in my, uh, takeaways from the game that I put up on the site. 
Um, and I actually got called out for it. I thought, I thought originally that Warden was talking about my um, mention of, you know, Peyton Bender being a better QB for this team than Montel Cozart in terms of their play in the openers, um, which I don't think really is a point that can be debated, even though his overall line may not have been that much better. Um, although four, four touchdowns is much better than what Cozart did, if I remember correctly. Um, you know, I, I think the other point that he kind of was a little upset with when I said that the defense is less experienced, but they have potential to be much better than last year. Um, and, and I kind of want to talk about that a little bit because I want to make sure that that's not misunderstood and kind of get your thoughts on it as well. Um, from what I saw of the game, because we had all those technical difficulties with ESPN3, if, if, you were on the <laughs> game thread, right, if you were on the game thread or Reddit, it was constantly freezing, constantly cutting out. Um, for the entire first half, essentially. So I actually watched more of the advertisements on ESPN3 for the first half than I did of the actual game. So um, the second half, it ended up working really well. And so I was able to see a lot of the second half. But from what I saw, it looked like the defense, obviously, I think, made more mistakes than we saw from the defense last year. But But if you think about the makeup of those defense, last year we had a lot of seniors, a lot of, you know, second or third year starters, um, that really knew what they were doing. And while they may not have been the most athletic guys, they had been working with Clint Ballon, they had been working in this system, and kind of understood what their assignments were, could make up for maybe that little bit of a lack of athleticism compared to this team. This team, we have a lot of young guys. We're replacing a lot of starters. Even though some of these guys have actually played because they rotated in as backups, it's a completely different experience to be starting a game and kind of being the guy as opposed to a guy that comes in to spell the main guy. So there was a lot of in-game experience that we had lost. Um, but what I saw from these guys is that they're very athletic. Uh, they're very quick compared to what we had last year. I think these guys have a much higher ceiling because they have the physical tools to be a better defense. They just need to get that experience. They need to, to get used to playing at this level. They need to get you know used to reading what the offense is doing and anticipating and, and all of that kind of stuff. And so if they can get that experience, and we're obviously – you know, playing decently through the end of the year and they're not just beat down from, you know, getting beat time after time. This defense has the potential to be better than they were last year because we have guys that are more athletically gifted. We have guys that are quicker that, that can really, you know, run over guys if they get the opportunity to get themselves set up correctly. So what we're mainly missing is that experience. And I think as we go along in the season, potentially we could actually end up having a better defense than we had last year. What, what are your thoughts on that? Am I, am I completely off base? I mean, it's a take. I don't know how hot it is. <laughs> well, uh, right. <laughs> but, uh, and I don't know how long it is necessarily, but you, what you got to look at, um, I mean, it's not like they're coming in completely. In, it's not like they're a bunch of true freshmen being run out there. You know, Hassan defense and Shaquille Taylor are the starting cornerbacks of both Juco guys are both juniors. I think uh, now, no, they haven't been playing major D one college football, but you know, they've been playing college football for the last two years. Um, so, you know, that, that that's something. <laughs> uh, and, you know, fish Smith's in his back and he's a, he's a true sophomore, I think. Um, so he, uh, I mean, yeah, they're not experienced, but they're not, I mean, they're not just a bunch of 18 year old kids being thrown to the wolves, you know? Um, So yeah, I I definitely think as they, as they practice more together and as they, you know, put in more, because hopefully, hopefully that was a pretty basic defense that we put out there, Um, which I mean, we didn't, I don't think we got any sacks. Um, 
I think our defensive line did overwhelm their offensive line um, pretty well. And David Bates kind of talked about it on his post-game pressure on the radio. Um, he said something along the lines of that they knew that SEMO was a match-protect team. Uh, and they and, and he talked about how they, they doubled Dorrance Armstrong. Um, they chipped uh, Armstrong and Wise with backs. And, you know, even after double-teaming, double-teaming them and you know, things like that. So they knew, they knew going into it they are going to have a hard time getting pressure on SEMO just because of the way that they run their offense and, and, and what they had seen from that. Uh, and, and so if there's a silver lining, I guess that's it. Um, the only one, the only turnover we got was an unforced error, you know, it was a bad snap and Joshua Hamby ran and grabbed the football. <laughs> so, uh, you know, it's not like they forced a bunch of turnovers. They, they got, like I said, they got some pressure on the quarterback. He, he did work, especially in the first quarter. The senior quarterback looks pretty nervous. He looked pretty, you know, happy feet and, uh, he, just wanted to get rid of the ball as soon as he could, uh, you know, stuff like that. But he did calm down and he started making plays and they kind of hung around there for basically the entire first half. Uh, and, yeah. uh, and, they, and they controlled the ball. They, they had the ball for nine or 10 minutes more than we did. It was like 35, 25, something like that. Uh, which, which is just ridiculous. I, like, I mean, I understand, you know, air raid and throw the ball and everything, but I mean, come on, well, get the defense see, I, off the field. I mean, I think that was a lot, a lot of it too, though, is if you looked at the game plan, SEMO did a lot more running than we did, which naturally is going to allow you to have the ball for more of the, of the clock, um, whereas we were throwing pretty much the whole game. So I think, I think that in and of itself can kind of help explain that discrepancy in terms of time of possession. And so I'm not necessarily as worried about that. I am worried that they were kind of able to string that together in the second quarter. And, and I mean, I, I did kind of address that. It, I don't know what it was that – made it so that the defense couldn't get that pressure in the second quarter. Um, Cause that was, I think the most concerning thing to me was that all of a sudden beginning of the second quarter, everything just switched off. The offense wasn't getting anywhere. The defense wasn't able to really stop them. They could march down the field. And luckily they were running the ball because that meant that it took them a lot longer. They had to do a lot more to be able to get down there and score. If our defense was putting on that kind of performance and, and they were throwing the ball, we easily could have gotten down in the second quarter or they could have tied the game and we could have been tied going to half. I mean, there's a lot more that could have happened if our defense had that kind of lull with a team that likes to throw the ball. But SEMO definitely seemed to be a team that wanted to run wanted to try to control the clock. And, and honestly, you know, if you're the underdog coming on the road, that kind of should be your game plan if you can make it work out that way. Um, so I, I don't know necessarily that's surprised by them doing that. Um, but, yeah, it was definitely a little concerning to kind of see that. And then the fact that we couldn't put them away um, very well. I mean, the only turnover we got was when they completely botched the snap and threw it over the quarterback's head. We didn't even yeah, call that just close just so to getting bad. another. Right, right. Well, no, 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 what I'm saying is the fact that that was our only turnover. Oh, okay. I got you. I mean, I would yeah. expect it, and we didn't have a single sack on the game. I mean, there's just there, – we should have been able to get a lot more pressure on the defense, even if they were going after our main guys. We should have enough talent elsewhere on the line and the linebackers to get that pressure that we need. Um, you know, so, yeah, there's definitely some concerns going in. But, again, as I kind of said – most of the issues I saw on defense seem to be more of, you know, guys not getting the right read and hitting the right hole, um, you know, things like that. Uh, not that, oh, well, they were just getting completely overpowered 
um, or, you know, guys were getting, you know, people were just blowing by them or anything like that. It wasn't an athleticism issue. It was a, it was either a scheme where they just kind of schemed pretty well to, to catch the pressure we were bringing or our guys just weren't hitting, you know, hitting the right spots. And that's something you can coach. That's something that you can prepare. Obviously the hope is that we have the coaches that can get them to get that experience and get them to go where they need to go, you know, yeah. midway through the year. Um, but and, and I know some of our readers aren't sold on whether or not we have that. Well, right, right. And, and I mean, I think balance Clint has done well enough for us to kind of be okay with it at this point. Obviously if it doesn't get any better where we have every right to be concerned at that point, um, but I, I don't think there's enough of a history of him just being so bad at his job that we can't expect some sort of improvement. You know, there's been lots of talk about, you know, every time I've ever heard someone talk about Clint Bowen as, as a defensive coordinator, it's been, yeah, he's, he's a pretty good defensive coordinator. Obviously he was, he wasn't great as a head coach. Well, but, but he was still a good defensive coordinator, you know? So I don't know that I'm necessarily <laughs> concerned about his ability to, to let the, or to get this defense to progress. Um, so I, I think until we have, you know, four or five games where they're not making any improvement. I think that's what it's going to take for me to really be worried too much about it. Um, all right. Uh, any other thoughts about the football game you wanted to get in before we move on to something else? Oh, uh, I think about the only thing that I kind of wanted to get into a little bit was just, uh, I don't know, just kind of the overall impressions of, uh, I don't know, I guess even projecting the season, uh, at this point after, I mean, some people are calling it, you know, oh, it's a great win. We won by three touchdowns. We came yeah, for yeah. 370 yards and four touchdowns or whatever it was. And I'm sitting there in the stands going, uh, why are we only winning by three touchdowns? You right. know, because we, we had expected so much. Well, some of us had expected. I at least expected so much more out of, you know, that, but then, uh, you know, again, there, there's, there's kind of two ways to look at it. Uh, yeah. Ben was a little inconsistent. Mostly he was good. He was a little inconsistent. His, his first interception was just God awful. I mean, he threw it five yards behind the guy, right to the safety. Wasn't anywhere close to the receiver. It was just a terrible throw. And the, the second interception he had was uh, a jump ball in the end zone, which was maybe a little bit underthrown, but, uh, you know, maybe, that one was partly on the receiver, too, for not either A, playing defense, or B, you know, giving max effort, whatever it might have been, or maybe a combination. Um, you know, so so there's that. But then in between those two interceptions, you know, Silo dropped a third one at midfield that, again, there was no KU receiver within five or ten yards, and they just they just dropped it. Um, you know, so he really should have had three interceptions. But, <laughs> again, on the flip side, he should have also had six touchdowns. You know, Ben Johnson dropped a – uh, ball going down the sideline that oh, he yeah. probably would have run for a touchdown. Chase Harold dropped the ball in the end zone that should have been a touchdown. Uh, Steven Sims, early in the first quarter, slipped on an out route when he was one-on-one. He may have gone for a touchdown. So he could have had six or seven touchdowns. Yeah. Um, yeah. So, and then, you know, complete a couple of those passes and suddenly we're looking at, you know, 450, 500 yards. Well, uh, and I wonder how much and, and, and then our entire team changes because then all of a sudden we won by five or six touchdowns instead of three. And that's based on just, just three or four plays. Right. So, you know, and it's, it's really hard, at least for me so far, to just kind of find a happy medium of, oh, yeah, it was a pretty good win, or, uh, 
I'm not really super impressed. So, and, and I think this kind of falls into what uh, David Grad and I were talking about last week is that, you know, unless they came out and won by, you know, 70 or 80 points, you can't really feel good about this win. It's something they should have won. They should have had a fairly good performance against them anyway. Um, so there's not really that much upside to winning a game like this, where it's, you know, it's anywhere from three touchdowns to maybe even, you know, five touchdowns. I don't think you can really take too much from that and feel really, really good about the team. Um, you know, if it had been a little bit closer, I would be extremely worried, but I, I don't think I'm to the point yet where it was close enough um, that, or that there was severe flaws that I'm afraid we can't get ironed out. Um, and so part of me has to wonder though, you know, you were talking about the, the, the one play where he threw that, you know, like five yards behind his receiver. Um, I, I know that the coaches will never really admit to this, but I wonder how much of that is a timing thing or, you know, the guy's not really being on the same page in terms of running the route or something to that effect. Yeah, kind of coaching thing, yeah. I mean, because we saw and we talked about nonstop about how they didn't pick a starting QB until basically that week. They didn't let the players know who the starting QB was until late in the week. How much of it was, you know, these guys just haven't had the time to build that, that rapport with the guy who we know now is the guy going into the season. You know, and so maybe over the next few weeks, they'll be able to build that timing, build that rapport, get all of that down. And then we're not going to see these kind of mistakes. I mean, I don't know how much of that was on Bender, how much of that was on the receiver, uh, or how much of that was just miscommunication or, or, you know, bad communication from the coaches or anything like that. There's not enough information for us to really know and to dig too deep into that. I think this gives us lots of good data points to kind of watch out for in the next few games. Um, but again, I, I, I can't side with all the people that are, you know, saying, oh, this is really bad because we didn't blow them out by even more. But obviously, I'm not getting too excited because, you know, I, I, I mean, I even said last week, I'm not going to get excited about this game unless we win by 70 points, which obviously didn't happen. So I'm not going to get excited about this. I can see flashes of things that potentially will end up being really good for us if they pan out. I do obviously see quite a few concerns that we may have to be worried about if they pan out. But there's just not enough here, I think, for anyone to get too excited or for anyone to get too upset at this point. You think that that's that's fair? <laughs> oh yeah, totally. Yeah. All right. All right. right. So, yeah, so I had no problems with that. Yeah. So so let's go ahead and jump. I mean, obviously, there's there's a lot more to talk about on the the, the football side with Central Michigan coming up. Um, but I think we'll kind of save that for the Friday episode when we go ahead and uh, and preview that. And we may or may not have you back on for that. I, I know we got a few people that are interested in that one, but we'll definitely at least have a good discussion here on the podcast. Everybody can join in on the site. So Excellent. Um, let's, let's go ahead. Since I know you're our other main volleyball guy on the site, I'm gonna, I definitely want to go ahead and take some time to talk about the volleyball team. Um, obviously, you know, the expectations for the team are high. We've talked about that on the podcast before. Um, everything I was kind of hearing was that there was some, some concern about lackluster performance against NC State, playing them twice in the opening weekend. Um, you know, winning both matches, but not necessarily as dominant as people thought it should have been. Um, but then yeah, not comfortable, week, yeah. Right. But then this, I mean, this, this last weekend, obviously, they had a really, really good tournament, um, beating uh, Utah Valley at the Wolverine Invitational, then beating Long Beach State, and then sweeping Montana uh, to, to go ahead and, you know, stay undefeated and to beat that. And then, obviously, the big game today that we've talked about already a little bit, but sweeping a Kentucky squad, which, you know, I was kind of watching and following that a little bit. I wasn't necessarily super impressed most of the time, which is kind of strange to say, 
you know, sweeping a top 15 opponent. Um, but it, it seems like they did enough to keep Kentucky at arm's length other than Madison Rigdon, who was just phenomenal today. And, and, and as your, uh, your comment said, you know, Kelsey Payne didn't seem like she was really doing a lot until you look at the box score. Or, or I should say she was doing a lot, but she wasn't, you know, she was doing it very quietly, going to look at the box store and, and seeing, you know, that she had so many kills. So I guess at this point, I, my main question for you is, what is your overall impression of the team, Ben? Have you seen, I mean, a lot of growth from this team already in the first seven matches? Or is it kind of just, a, you know, got off to a rocky start, but now we're really starting to see what we were expecting to see? Uh, well, in full disclosure, and, uh, you know, I wrote about this, uh, you know, after the the Wolfpack Invitational at NC State, but, you know, I mean, NC State's not a bad team. They're not a bad program. They won 20 games last year. They knocked off a couple of top 25 teams, um, you know, but they also lost to some bad teams, and they didn't do enough to even make turn the NCAA tournament. Um, you know, so, again, not a bad team, not a great team. I think they're, they were, the preseason poll had them in the middle of the ACC. The ACC that they had had them had um, at, at fifth in the ACC this, this yeah. year. Yeah, so you know, yeah, and the ACC's got some decent volleyball. North Carolina's pretty good. Uh, I kind of drawn a blank on the rest, but uh, Kentucky's usually pretty good. Well, they're SEC, but <laughs> oh, oh my gosh, yeah. Well, I feel okay. Yeah, a- ACC. I'm trying to think of a few. Yeah. Now, no, no, no editing that out. Now, come on. You have to you have to play this honest and straight up. No editing that out. No, but, no, no, no. I'm, I'm, trying to think, I'm trying to think of who else though is actually. Consistently good. I don't know why I blanked and said Kentucky. Yeah. <laughs> oh gosh. It's but, uh, but yeah. So so uh, you know again and those and you know it was on their home floor. So and that makes a big difference as we know in sports. You know football, basketball doesn't matter. You know home court advantage is home court advantage. Right. And and uh, you know so but again you know top ten team coming in there middle of the road major conference like you feel like you should probably win those pretty comfortably and those were tight games uh, and then last weekend or I guess earlier this weekend you know I mean Utah Valley Montana Long Beach State like come on those are the teams we're supposed to cream for you like it, it, it's kind of like SEMA it's hard to gauge where your team's at and I did notice following KU Volleyball on Twitter that they kind of experimented with starting lineups during those three matches against those lower quality programs, uh, you know, and I assume stuff they're working on in practice, and uh, I'm not, I'm not going to come out and say that they use those as practice games or matches by any means. You know, it's still B1 competition, and uh, you know everybody's at that level for a reason. Uh, you know, right. the Kansas is supposed to be one of the top schools in the country, and today. Today, I think they really showed, uh, now assuming, of course, that they can continue to build on that win, but I think they really showed that they are indeed one of the top teams in the country. I mean, you know, uh, as we wrote in our preview, you know, Kentucky's a legit top 15 team. They came in at 5-1. and one. They had two top 25 wins already. Their one loss was to number seven Creighton in Omaha. So, like, you know, uh, <laughs> you know that was, a, that was a good team that came into Lawrence today. And and early in the first set and early in the second set, you know, Kentucky built up some decent leads. I think they were hit by four or five points in each one early. Uh, right. You know, eight-four, eight, you know, you know seven three stuff like that um but you know kansas was able to figure out what they were doing and i you know i don't know enough about volleyball to tell you what's coaching and what isn't but um you know it, it seemed like the jayhawks adjusted to what kentucky was doing early in those sets and then once KU figured it out kentucky couldn't do it anymore you know we started blocking more balls we started you know 
digging more attacks, like they, they were more in the right positions to defend Kentucky's attacks and things like that. And, uh, yeah, I mean, after the first 10 points or so of the first set and the second set, like Kentucky just, Kentucky looked like Long Beach State out there. I mean, they just didn't belong on the court. <laughs> And um, they had some talented players. I think their starting set, their starting setter, I think, was from Overland Park, of all places. Uh, so there were quite a few Kentucky fans in the stands. Uh, I assume family or friends of of, of that girl's family. But uh, uh, regardless, they were there. <laughs> but I mean, again, the atmosphere was amazing. Uh, Kansas played really well, as you said. Madison Rigdon, she just had probably one of her best games of her of her college career. She was. <laughs> she was back row attacking as, as well as we've ever seen her do. Uh, I mean, she was she was digging stuff. She was she, she had a couple of sets, I think. Uh, I mean, she just she just played an amazing, amazing all around game. And uh, Anise Havili, our setter, uh, one of the top setters in the country. And uh, if you stay tuned to RCT long enough, I'll go ahead and give you guys a little tease. If you stay tuned long enough. Uh, we're going to have uh, a comment on the, the lady that does the uh, that does the announcing for ESPN three for the KU home matches and for some other big time matches around the country. Joe Dorsey Hall. Uh, we're going to have her on the site here, hopefully in a few days, and she, you know she'll tell us uh, what Anise Havili does that makes her so good at setting and why she's one of the best setters in the country. It has to do with her her deception, her quick hands, her footwork, just everything that she does at that position is just so, man, she had some just incredible sets, like from across the court, uh, from bad passes. I mean, she, she was just, she was locked in today. And, uh, <laughs> and that line about the jousting, um, you know, she won that joust uh, when KU was up 24-23 in the first set. Um, there was a joust up at the net, and if people don't know what that is, that's when the ball is just kind of hanging over the net, and two players from one from each side go up and and attack the ball and, and kind of you know fight over it, joust over it, and it just seems like she wins those. 90, 95% of the time. She doesn't hardly ever lose those. And I think, uh, you know, she's taller for a setter. Most setters aren't 5'11". Um, you know, so she's pretty tall for a setter, and I think that, that helps her a lot. But she's going up against, you know, most of the time when she does that, she's going up against girls that are 6'2", 6'3", 6'4". You know, she's going up against front row players. And, and just, I don't know if she's just stronger than they are or she you know, has some kind of technique that she does. I don't know. But she, right, she just right. always wins those. Yeah, typically when you think of that, the, the player that's coming at it from a higher, from a higher angle is usually has the advantage there. Yeah, it's definitely, I don't know what it is about her game, but just the way, the way that she's able to overpower them at that point is really, really <laughs> kind of unique. Yeah. Um, it's given, it's, given it's her incredible. Yeah. yeah. It's incredible. And, uh, and, and yeah, like you mentioned, Kelsey Payne, she, you know, I, <laughs> uh, she had a really athletic, I think it was in the third set. She had a really, and I wish I could remember what the score was, really athletic kill uh, from about the 10-foot line. I think she was in the front row, but the, the set came back towards the 10-foot line, and it was kind of awkward, and it looked kind of funny. But, I mean, she just, she placed it perfectly and was, you know, and with enough power to get it through the defense. And I mean, I, and I was like, <laughs> I was like, man, I feel like I haven't seen Kelsey Payne all day. And then I look up at the scoreboard and she has like 15 kills or something. I don't know what she had, but uh, I, she had double digit kills. And I'm just like, well, 
how, how did she get that many? I feel like that's the first one I've seen all day. Yeah, you know, uh, and, and it's and it's definitely something. I mean, you can. It's not hard to make the argument that KU has the chance to get quite a few players on an All-America team, you know, on a first or second team. Uh, we had two last year, and I think Rigdon might have been an honorable mention or something like that. And we had two first-teamers last year, and I the way they're going, they're definitely going to have at least two this year. Well, I was going to say, I, I believe it was it was Kelsey Payne and Cassie Waite last year, correct? Uh, no, it was uh, Havili. Havili. Oh, okay, it, it was Havili. Okay. Uh, yeah. So, yeah, I mean, so, but I mean, Payne and Havili, I think, are the two that are almost a lock at this point, just with how – how, how good of a pedigree they had coming into the season and how well they've been able to hold it up at this point. Unless one of them gets injured or just completely falls apart, which I don't expect from either of those girls. Um, I, I have a hard time seeing them not making one of the teams. You know, I could see Rigdon, especially if she has, you know, many more performances like today, just, you know, shooting her way on onto that team. Um, you know, and, and I mean, depending on how some of these other girls do, they could make it to like a second or I, I don't know how many teams they do. I, they might do like a second and a third and then an, an honorable mention. I, I can't remember. I, yeah. yeah. I tell you, there's, there's like, you know, a normal volleyball team is, you know, six players on the court. I think right. these uh, All-American teams are like 12 or 15 players. So, right. I mean, they really, they, they really kind of pat them out a little bit. Right. I mean, right. you know, there's 300 or whatever Division one volleyball programs too, so I don't, you know, I don't think it's unfair okay. by any means. It's, it's definitely, it's definitely not a participation trophy. I'll tell you that. Right, right. But yeah, I mean, so I mean, we have a really good squad put together, and you know, you think about it, you had a very good libero in Cassie Waite last year. It was a senior. Uh, right. That I mean, really was kind of the heart and soul of the defense for this team. Um, well, no doubt. Yeah, I mean, but she, she's not there. But now we've got someone who stepped in, and obviously she's a little green because she hasn't been able to, to kind of be there in the full time role. But uh, and and I feel really bad because I just blanked on her name. But today she had a really good game too. I mean, I was yeah. seeing it on Twitter. Nelson. Yeah, Nelson. There we go. And I mean, all the quotes from the from the coaches and the other players after we were talking about how well she's been able to step into that role for this team. So the fact that they can have someone brand new step in and not miss a beat is a really good development for this team. I mean, this, this team, I feel, has the potential to be better than last year's team, and last year's team was the main thing. So, yeah, it's definitely and, a really uh, good time to be a volleyball fan at, at Kansas. Yeah, you know? I, I, made, yeah. I, made, I made sure, you know, that I, I used the hashtag volleyball school for the recap today, and I, I feel bad because I haven't used it in any of the previous ones. But, I mean, Kansas at this point, I think, is just as much a volleyball school as they are a football school. And obviously, nothing's ever going to come as close to bas- or to, to, to basketball unless the football team consistently got really, really good. But volleyball is as close as any non-revenue sport can ever get to yeah. being up at that kind of level at this point. We have a phenomenal then, program, a phenomenal group of girls here. And the way the recruiting's been going, I think that's going to keep going for quite a while, especially if people come out and support the program. Yeah. And I will tell you, uh, David Beatty was there, just a few rows in front of me. And uh, it was really cool. He was kind of down there on that press row. And it was really cool to see people come up to him and, you know, tap him on the shoulder. And he turned around and, you know, and I tell you, Andy, he talked to every single one of them for at least a few seconds, shook hands, took a couple of selfies, that type of deal. Um, and he was sitting next to Zanger. And I'm sure some people said, you know, uh, thanks for bringing back Coach Lane Gino and stuff like that. And it was just, it was, it was really cool for him to be there and to, to interact with him and he did like that. And, uh, and, uh, I mean, he, 
Uh, I kind of forgot where I was headed with that, but, but yeah, it was just uh, it was just really cool for you know to see that and uh, for him to be there and support the volleyball team like that. I think it was I think he had his wife with him there too, and um, uh, you know he had his phone out a lot. I'm sure he was texting you know recruits or whatever, but uh, you know he seemed to enjoy himself. He uh, you know he stood and clapped and you know he, he stayed for the alma mater and stuff like that. And it was really cool to see him get involved. Every once in a while you'll see. Um, you know, you'll see Bill Self pop his head in there, um, you know, not so often, but, uh, and, and usually you see some basketball players in there. I don't happen to notice any today, but, uh, well, you got to think too, with the opener though, I mean, I'm, and I know the basketball team has probably got their own, you know, their own practice and stuff that they're worried about. Um, and obviously with the, with the Jayhawk Invitational coming up this weekend, there's going to be plenty more opportunity for them to kind of, to come in for one of those matches, uh. So I, I'm sure you'll, you know, and anyone who's there will probably see more of the basketball players this week. Um, it's possible, but uh, there's some big time. Uh, if there's any local listeners out there, there's some big time programs coming in. Uh, Purdue and Creighton, Creighton's top ten, Purdue's top twenty, uh, and then Belmont's yeah. going to be the sacrificial lamb, I think. <laughs> right. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Start Friday at noon with Belmont, and then I believe right. it's, it's eight o'clock. I believe uh, they play Purdue that that evening. Yeah, seven or eight they play Purdue, and then, and then, and then on Saturday, uh, after the football game on Saturday they play right. Saturday uh, evening. They will play Creighton, so and that right. should be a phenomenal matchup. That talk about your hashtag motivation right there. Right, I think that's going to be an even, yeah. an even better matchup than we saw today against Kentucky. So, um, but you know, Purdue's not going to be a slouch either. So there's a lot of talent coming in this weekend. If if, if Kansas can remain undefeated throughout this weekend. I could see them easily moving up into the top four or five in the poll this week. Yeah, you know, yeah. Um, oh, easily coming yeah. into next week, and that's—I mean, honestly, even if they lost to a team like Purdue and beat Creighton, I would still think they would move up rather than move down at that point. So, uh, having beaten two top fifteen squads, you know, so I'm definitely really excited about the, the the volleyball action this weekend. And if I remember correctly, all of these all of these matches are going to be on ESPN three. Uh, that is correct, and actually, while we're talking about it, let me pull it up. Uh, I know we have some matches on like ESPN two and stuff like that, but uh, yeah, that Creighton uh, one maybe double uh, check if, it. If if it wasn't on a Saturday night, I would think maybe it would be on something a little bit more prominent. But being on a Saturday night, going up against football, I, I doubt it's going to be on anything other than ESPN three. Yeah, I doubt it. Uh, yeah, it looks like they all watch ESPN, ESPN three. Yep. Yep. So. And, and I'm sure later in the season, I, I could see maybe a, a Texas matchup in the middle of the week being on an ESPN two or something like that. Um, and you know, obviously, when we get to the to the tournament, they're going to be a little easier to find. But yeah, um, looks like the TCU match is going to be on Fox Sports. Um, the Baylor match is going to be on Fox Sports. Um, I'm not sure about Iowa State; it didn't have anything listed there. Uh, the match at Texas will be on Longhorn Network, so you have to catch that somehow. But uh, yeah, <laughs> uh, I could have swore we had an ESPN two game in there somewhere, maybe one of the K State games or something. But I'm not seeing it right now. So, oh well, that that that's all right. Okay, so oh, we, yeah, actually, it's the conference opener at K State. It's going to be on ESPN two. Oh, perfect. Yeah, and that's September 24th. So it's still a couple weeks away. But uh, and then the home game against Texas is going to be on ESPN U. So a couple of cable ma- a couple okay. of cable games there. Yeah. Oh, that's right. So so that K State game is going to be on ESPN two on a Sunday night. Um, so obviously we'll be going up against NFL football. But you know, yeah. for those of us that don't care about football, would rather watch volleyball. 
or yeah, you know, know. just don't have a team they particularly want to watch that Sunday night and would rather right. su- support the, the uh, volleyball squad, that, that option will be there. So, yeah, uh, I, don't, I, don't, I don't know who plays on that Sunday night, but I, I mean, I know I don't care when the Ravens and Jets play, so it's whatever. Right, right. Unless it's, you know, the, <laughs> the Chiefs, I probably won't care too much myself, but yeah, I, I'm sure there's a lot of people in the same boat that would enjoy an opportunity to kind of watch the volleyball squad they don't usually get to watch if it's not conflicting with a team they really care about so right yeah all right so let's before we jump on out of here because we're running a little longer than i thought we were going to um just wanted to mention the other big news from over the weekend obviously ku women's soccer upset the defending champion usc trojans um two to one uh that was a that was a, a a home matchup for them but you know there was obviously a little bit of a little bit of surprise there. Um, Kansas wasn't given much of an opportunity. They got up soon enough and early, and um, USC actually came back on a penalty kick to get it within one. And then they had a wide open shot. Uh, was able to get it past the past KU's keeper. She was somehow able to deflect it enough and then scramble on top of it before it went in the net. But it was a just absolutely phenomenal play by her to preserve the victory instead of settling for a tie. Obviously that was a very, very good um, development for the, for the women's soccer program. They have only had one loss. That was a beginning of the season loss to Nebraska. Um, the, the post game stuff that I was reading was talking about how, you know, a lot of these, a lot of these girls did not really know how to handle being down to a team like that, um, that early in the season, but they got that experience and then they were able to handle that pressure going up against USC. So that's a very good, a good development for the team. Obviously, that's a huge win to kind of have in your back pocket uh, late in the season when they're trying to get into the NCAA tournament. So uh, I, I know you're not really a big soccer guy, but did you have any thoughts on that? Um, other than obviously, you know, the general really good win. Nice, nice to see them playing well. Uh, go Jayhawks. Right, exactly. All right. Well, I, you know, I want to make sure we mention that. Um, <laughs> but yeah, so uh, other than that, we, we do have some other stuff we kind of want to talk about, but I think we'll save that for a later episode. I might talk with some of the other guys. There was there was some NFL news with uh, roster cut downs. And actually, I'll just mention this real quick. Fish Smithson uh, um, was cut by the Washington Redskins, but then I believe you had said that he was re-signed onto the practice squad. Uh, is that, I believe is that, that is correct. correct. Yeah. Uh, while you talk here, we'll we'll double check that one too. Yeah. And then the only other real kind of big KU related news from roster cutdowns um, was that Ben Heaney got cut by the Raiders. Um, that actually had kind of surprised me when I when I heard about it. Um, but you know, kind of looking at that a little bit, he was on the injured reserve list last last year for a good portion of the season. He actually started the uh, started camp on the team's non football injury list which typically means that he suffered some sort of injury while he was not practicing or not playing in a preseason game. Um, that typically can lead to people getting cut because, you know, they put themselves in some sort of, way, some sort of situation that was not uh, football related. A lot of teams don't necessarily take too kindly to that. Uh, so I'm not, I, I am a little surprised because he was a starter for them the last few years, but I don't know that I'm necessarily too surprised after hearing that he was on that non-football injury list. So. Any other thoughts about yeah. the, the roster cuts? Yeah, uh, well, no, no, I mean, nothing specific. Uh, you know, I, I just, I happened to see Ben Heaney's tweet the other day and, and uh, like the, the move surprised me. I guess, I, I guess that means he's still injured and can't practice. Uh, I, I don't know. Uh, yeah, so I, I, that was definitely disappointing. You know, I, you know, he, I thought he did pretty well out there his first couple of years and I know he worked his way up to a starter and, 
and that's no easy feat in the NFL. Um, but, uh, yeah, so I don't know. I don't know where he goes from here, but, uh, I hope he gets healed up and I hope that, uh, he gets another crack with somebody. And, uh, the, the latest news on fish is that he was cut and that the Redskins intend to add him to the practice squad. So I guess if somebody else claims to go off waivers or something, that'll probably happen. Yeah, probably. So, all right, well, we'll go ahead and kind of leave it there. Uh, you know, as, as I mentioned earlier, the, uh, holiday kind of threw off our, our recording schedule. Um, this is a little bit of longer of an episode, but we'll go ahead and keep all of this on the Monday episode. Uh, we may end up having, or I, I'm sorry, I, I guess it'll be a Tuesday episode at this point. Um, we are yeah. still looking at potentially doing two more episodes this week, but, um, I'm not sure how that's going to go with the recording. We will definitely have something for you on Friday though, uh, previewing the central Michigan game. Um, and we actually have another, uh, podcast offering that may be coming out this week. I will, uh, from from our newest staff member here at Rock Talk Talk, uh, Blair Blair Sheet, he he had posted a, an article for us last week. It's kind of his his introduction. Um, he he's been talking about getting something going. And I will leave it to him to kind of explain the concept when he starts it. That may be dropping this week. It may not drop until next week. But we'll definitely be looking forward to that. And I uh, definitely hope you guys will will tune into that as well. So um, once again, thanks thanks for joining us here on the Rock Talk Talk podcast. We will talk to you guys next time. Thank you. Podcast Network. Hello, it is Ryan, and we could all use an extra bright spot in our day, couldn't we? Just to make up for things like sitting in traffic, doing the dishes, counting your steps, you know, all the mundane stuff. That is why I'm such a big fan of Chumba Casino. Chumba Casino has all your favorite social casino style games that you can play for free anytime, anywhere with daily bonuses. That should brighten your day, Lil. Actually, a lot. So sign up now at ChumbaCasino.com. That's ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. VTW group. Void prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus.